This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Hi, welcome to the Nakuda podcast for Parshas Vayetze. Should I get them here? I wanted to explore today some ideas regarding um, the concept of the difference between Eretz Yisrael and Chutz Laaretz. Uh, this parsha deals with the uh, exit of uh, Yaakov Avinu from uh, from Eretz Yisrael, where he was living till then. <clears throat> land of his forefathers, land that was promised to them by Hashem. And now he is forced through uh, the uh, consequences of his following his mother's advice, uh, or plan to uh, get the brachas, which did succeed in the fact that he got the brachas away from Esau, but unfortunately um, it resulted in a very uh, dangerous situation um, in terms of his relationship with his brother. So he had to kind of go on the lam. He had to, uh, to leave. Um, at the same time, his leaving was not simply to escape I mean, he could have run to another place in Eretz Yisrael. It really did have a tachlis. It had a purpose. And that purpose was to find a wife. Uh, in a sense, just as uh, Avram had sent Eliezer back to the family, to the, you know, Psuel and, and Lovin, to, get a, a, uh, to find Rivka as a wife for Yitzchak. And Yitzchak was not allowed to go out of Eretz Yisrael. So he sent Eliezer instead. And uh, in this situation, Yaakov was not able to follow that example in the sense that nobody could go for him. He ended up going himself, which had, again, the, uh, the double uh, advantage of, of escaping Esau as well. Um, but at the same time, he was accomplishing the tachlis of, of seeking wife for himself by going back to the family, and there was a precedent for that already. The fact is that um, Avruam, it's pointed out that Avram also left Eretz Yisrael temporarily uh, during the famine when he went um, the whole episode with Sarah and uh, and Avimelech. But um, later on, that could have also happened with Yitzchak when he uh, went to he didn't he didn't leave Eretz Yisrael actually, but he did um, leave his home temporarily, or actually. Whatever. Anyway, he there there was that episode with with Rivka as well. But again, he wasn't allowed to go out of Eretz Yisrael, so he didn't follow his father's example. Uh, and now Yaakov was, in a sense, um, <clears throat> following up on that precedent. But at the same time, it was an unfortunate fact that he had to to leave his home and uh, go to a foreign land for him, and also a very dangerous place in terms of the uh, the house of of Lovin was not exactly a place to. Uh, one would want to be uh, if he had his choice about it. Um, 
In any case, and especially to be there for a length of time, it was Eliezer was there very temporarily just to get Rivka and bring her back, and it was no, never the intention that she should stay in Chutzler's for any length of time. I don't think Rivka had in mind that, that Yaakov would go uh, to stay there for very long either, but he ended up staying for you know, quite a few years. In any case, um, the whole issue of, of going out of Eretz Yisrael is, is an important one because we see that uh, immediately when he goes out, he has the dream about the uh, angels going up and down the ladder. Um, and we're told that, that the significance of the angels going up and down is that there were, the angels, there were actually two different sets of angels. The angels that were going up were the ones that had accompanied him in Eretz Yisrael. And now we're, we're going back into Shemaim, and there was a, another set of angels that were designed for the purpose of, of uh, protecting him in the Chutzlores and in the outside of Eretz Yisrael. So it was obvious that he needed some kind of special protection from special forces uh, in going into Chutzlores. Now the question is, what was special about them, and why is Chutzlores different? Uh, in terms of the, the necessity of going out. There's another aspect that's, that's brought up is the fact that he didn't go straight from Eretz Yisrael to Lovin. He had a period of years in between where he get, went to the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. And a lot of what I'm saying is taken from the uh, commentary of the Ramak or Yoker to the uh, Zoyar in Kurdish. And there he mentions that um, this was uh, preparation for having to meet the, ch- the challenges of Chutzlords. In other words, he had been brought up in a relatively sheltered environment in Eretz Yisrael. And um, now to face the challenges of Chutzlords, um, he needed extra uh, preparation, extra time in the yeshiva to, uh, to prepare for that in order not to be affected by it. So why should one be affected by going into as opposed to staying in Israel, aside from just the aspect of, you know, that he's leaving home, going to kind of a, a, a hostile environment. What's special about Chutzlords? So we're told that that the, the just as the avir of Eretz Yisrael, the, the actual atmosphere, the, the, the air of Eretz Yisrael is, uh, is machkim, it makes one wiser, it, um, it has a kedusha that is inherent to Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. It's, it's not only is it the homeland of the Jewish people, but it has an extra kedusha that's associated with it. Just as we see that, you know, when when um, Yaakov uh, uh, arrives at Beit El and he's um, uh, confronted with this this uh, uh, feeling of being in a special place, the Shar Shemaim, and he has a dream and everything. So he sees it and, and he feels that this is an extra special place. And um, he uh, he is a little apprehensive about going away from that that special place. But, you know, one can consider that, one would think that per- perhaps the environment of Chutzloritz, of outside of Eretz Yisrael, is parava, so to speak. It's it's uh, not here, not there. It's kind of a, you know, a neutral place. And that Eretz Yisrael has, a, has an extra kedusha to it, but uh, the rest of the world is, is not so bad. And we're told not like that. I mean, the, the uh, Ramak uh, emphasizes that there is what, what we call the klippa. There is a level of impurity. The, the idea that the, that, that the uh, Eretz uh, is metama, 
that the atmosphere of is, is opposed directly, you know, diametrically opposed to the atmosphere of Eretz Yisrael, which is Mekadish, which brings a, a kedusha. The uh, the atmosphere of Chutz Oretz is dominated, is permeated with a certain tumah, with a certain uh, uh, impurity, and the klipas, so the so the, the anti uh, forces, the anti holy, anti kedusha forces uh, of, in, of the bria, which is built into the Bria, the idea of the dinim, of the, the chitzoinim, all of these different words that are used uh, in different aspects of the, uh, the negative force um, that Hashem built into creation through the idea of the Shri Zakalim and through various, uh, uh, the whole process of creation itself in order to provide for Bechira, that we have free choice, uh, certain forces were, uh, were created um, or at least given the the uh, opportunity to be created. I mean, there's this idea of a of a dark light that was created um, before creation that had a choice to go this way or that way, and because it uh, it used its choice, unfortunately, negatively, just as Adamarishan did later in the Itzadas, um, um, these uh, things became real forces. They came into being as a negative force that is something that encourages and tempts people to go in the opposite direction of uh, following Hashem's roots and Hashem's will. So anyway, um, what this means is, is that Eretz Yisrael not only is a, Eretz Yisrael represents this positive force, but outside of Eretz Yisrael represents a certain negative force, which is actually actively attempting to uh, divert and, and distract um, Jews from serving Hashem uh, or you know, encouraging them to, uh, to, to choose the evil alternative, you know, not to go towards Hashem. And that's a constant, uh, a constant um, challenge that the Jewish people has had to uh, confront, especially in Golis. Now, there's an idea of Golis Hashchina, that the Shechina itself goes together with the Yidin into Golis, and the Ramak talks about this at length. And he talks about it, and there's various aspects to it. There is, on the, on the more uh, um, innocent level, I mean, the, on the, the less uh, damaging level, you could say that, it, as we have in the situation with the Akavavina, that... Um, that uh, the Shechina, the, the divine presence, uh, represented by, the, by possibly by these angels, or simply by uh, you know the, the uh, connection um, to a certain uh, light or whatever that was accompanying him in Chutz Oritz, um, was the factor that was able to protect him from that damaging influence that Hutzlers could have on him. So therefore, when, the, uh, when, when there's a certain uh, encompassing light, so to speak, the kind of thing that you know, we saw in the, uh, in the Midbar, when they even went into the Midbar, which is also Hutzlers, obviously, uh, when they left Mitzrayim, they had to be protected from all of the, the negative forces of the Midbar. And the Midbar is known to be, as being a very desolate place, uh, is really a home to all those negative forces. Uh, so it's obviously a very dangerous place for a person to go stomp. 
And here Hashem sent with him, them the Anenaya Kovid, these, these clouds that, uh, that enveloped them and protected them from all of these uh, damaging influences from, from the environment. That is, again, the hostile environment that they were going through. And uh, we see a similar thing when we talk about the Shekhinah accompanying the Yidin and Golis. So at the beginning, as I say, they were, there was a relatively innocent concept of uh, simply protection. Uh, later on, uh, the later Golis, and, and our Golis in particular, um, Ramak talks about an idea of the, uh, the Golis Hechleti. Uh, uh, it was about like a complete Golis in which the, um, the Shekhinah itself is in a sense banished. You know, the, the, they used always the, um, the metaphor of uh, the king uh, sending the queen into exile together with her child who's been misbehaving. Uh, and therefore she's not welcome to the palace anymore because uh, she's standing up for her, her child, and, uh, and even though the king really doesn't want to send the child away, he has no choice because of the way that the child is acting, and she wants to make sure that you know, he's protected, so she goes, she volunteers, so to speak, to go into Gullis, but in a sense she's been, she herself, because of that, is, balanced, is banished from the palace itself. So it comes out that um, it, that's a, a much more tragic kind of uh, uh, situation to be in than if she's simply being sent as a, as a protector because um, there's that extra edge to it. In any case, um, what can we learn from Yaakov's uh, experience in, in, in going into Gullist? Uh, first of all, we see that, of course, there is that protection on whatever level it is. And for whatever reason it is, Hashem is always concerned about every Jew, whether they're in Eretz Yisrael or out of Eretz Yisrael. And obviously he's going to uh, do everything he can to protect them from the influences there. On the other hand, we have to realize that those influences do exist. And even a person on the level of Yaakov Avini needed help to be able to be protected from those, uh, those influences. But then we have to also bear in mind that he went there for a specific purpose, and uh, for, uh, for a limited period of time. I mean, Rivka sent him saying that, you know, when I call you, you got to come back. Um, it's not clear that she did call him at any particular point, but there was an idea that he should have come back actually sooner than he did, or he, he, he tarried on the way somewhat. somewhat. Um, and, uh, but the fact is he kind of got stuck there unintentionally. He did just go get a wife and, and come back as soon as possible, and uh, it didn't exactly happen like that. But the point is that there was a specific goal to be accomplished, and he had to go there to accomplish that goal. And after that goal was completed, then it was time to come home. Um, so that is a, a mentality that a Jew who is living in Chutzlaret, outside of itself for whatever reason, has to bear in mind that it's really only supposed to be temporary, number one. Number two, it has to be for a specific purpose. So what is the purpose of a Jew who, let's say, was uh, born in Chutzlaretz? He uh, never really considered seriously the idea of, of, of coming to Eretz Yisrael. For many years, it wasn't possible. There are also days that a person should not go from Chutzlaretz to Eretz Yisrael. So there's all kinds of opinions about it, you know, based on, on the interpretation of what our job right now is. But one thing is clear, that <clears throat> just as historically, we know, according to Kabbalah, that there is a concept of nitzitzis. Nitzitzis are the uh, fragments of Kedusha that 
fell because of the, again, the, the various uh, events of, of, of Shvib, what's called Shvir Sakalem, and, and, uh, and the Chet of Adamarishon, and the Chet of Eagle, and various times during history, historically, the, the destruction of the temple, that, that the, the um, uh, Nishomas and the uh, sparks of Kedusha that are intrinsically part of the world, and really the, the point of the world to, to reveal the Hashem's presence, um, fell into and become mi- mixed up with these uh, forces of Toma and these negative forces. And it's very hard for us to get them out of there. So the fact that Yidin were sent at certain times for certain, 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 in certain places um, was, and each individual person in terms of his own journeys and why he has to be in a certain place at a certain time is in order to attract through Torah mitzvahs uh, and, and, and manifesting Hashem's presence in wherever, wherever he is, a Jew is actually attracting those sparks back to their source. And of course, a very good example of that is the example of Gerim. Gerim are mamash neshamas that are trapped in the, uh, among the nations and they're being attracted back to their source in Kedusha because of usually some interaction with, uh, with Jews who are, in, you know, who are in, in the place that they are. And today, through internet and things like that, they're able to access you know, contact with, with, with Jews uh, even without that personal contact, but whatever. The point is that, that there is an idea of, of uh, a shlichus that we're sent, and you don't have to be a Lubavitch for this. You're every, every individual Jew is, is, uh, is wherever he finds himself, is a shlich in terms of being able to attract these, uh, the particular sparks that are connected to his neshama back to Hashem. So that is why he has to be there. It was, it's not, it, the whole idea of gullis is not something that's an ideal situation. That's not where Jews are supposed to be. They're only there, you know, as a last resort because these, in order to make this final ticken, these sparks have to be recollected and they have to be elevated and they have to be gotten out of there. But not because that's, you know, where they're supposed to be. Um, so in other words, if a person has a good reason to be in a state of gullis, then they have, in a sense, permission to be there. And if they have that in mind as being, you know, that what their, their, their purpose in life, and it was what they're, what they're really in that place in order to do, then that can be a justifiable, justifiable reason to be there um, maybe longer than uh, than lechatchila, you know, to, uh, under the best circumstances, they would have to be there. But to consider that that a Jew can consider that to be like their natural place to be, that that's kind of okay or that's natural to be in that place. That it's it's not like they're uh, you know existentially away from home. Uh, they don't feel a, a, a pull to be reunited with their people in their homeland, you know, in the, in, and experience the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael as, 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 as part of their lives. That can come from either a naivete about the force, the power of, of Chutz Oretz to be able to, you know, schlep people away from Yiddishkeit on the one hand, and it's also about, you know, what we're here to do. You know, if we, again, if we don't have, if we're not accomplishing something specifically for Hashem in Chutz Loretz, we really conceivably have no real reason to be there. And as, as we feel that the Gul is coming closer, and there's an idea of the gathering of exiles, so one would think that 
one's place really is in Eretz Yisrael, again, unless they have a particularly good reason not to be there. Um, so, and, 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 you know, we see, uh, we've always seen that, you know, the, 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 we talk about Chorban America, Chorban Europe, you know, Chorban, all, all the Chorbonists that have taken place in, uh, in, 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 in Golis and Chutzlaor, it's that the, the place itself is um, a dangerous place to be, you know, in a, in a general historical sense, whether this particular year or that particular year is, is particularly bad or not, it, it really makes no difference. The, what you see is that, um, uh, that that's where these tremendous uh, destructions have taken place. And the fact is that that um, we have to, uh, it, it, you know, you, there's, there's an idea that you should be, in order to not be nishba, you have to be mashpia. In other words, you have to be actively promoting Yiddishkeit in order not to be swallowed up in the, uh, the, the, the general environment. Um, it's, now, if you put yourself in a Jewish Environment in Chutzlaret, so you're in better shape, obviously, than somebody who's who's not. But if somebody is in a more has more contact with Goyim and Goyish culture, is obviously in a bigger danger to be assimilated than one who's not, and one who's more educated has a has a better chance of surviving there. But again, it's it is intrinsically a, store, uh, a hostile environment. Now, one could say, look at in Eretz Yisrael, you also have lots of clippers and lots of tuma and lots of you know very negative things going on. What's very interesting to see is that despite the fact that in the early, you know, Zionist movement was full of atheism and full, full of, you know, nationalism, full of, 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 of anti-religious sentiment, um, but that, that uh, pervasive uh, anti-religious feeling that was, in the, that, that one was very uh, prevalent in the early days of uh, the state or whatever, has largely given rise to a much more uh, pro-religious uh, stand, even among uh, non-religious Israelis, I would say today. I mean, living here, I see, you know, every day I see examples of how the sentiment is constantly changing, that people are uh, bringing, you know, so of course, there's still, still an anti-influence um, there. But the fact is that it's much, much less pervasive than it used to be. And it's something that we see constantly is, um, I mean, no, just the results of this last election, obviously, uh, show it clearly that the tendency is to become more to the right, more to the conservative, more to the traditional, more, you know, bringing in various aspects of, you know, Abu Hashem and Amir Hashem and Shabbat Shalom and all these things going, becoming part of the general sprach, uh, the general um, uh, vernacular. So to speak, um, whereas these things maybe in, in previous generations would have been avoided. Um, so what I want, what I mean, mean to say is that even though these clippers and these, you know, anti-religious sentiments may find a hold, they take a hold temporarily. Inevitably, they are going to be uh, overridden by a return to kedusha because that is embedded within the land itself. I mean, if things go the opposite direction, then simply they even get kicked out. I and mean, we've seen that in the past too. So it's, it, but if, if the Yidin are here, and if there's a strong connection to Yiddishkeit and to Hashem in, in the land of Eretz Yisrael, ultimately it's inevitable that these anti-religious uh, sentiments and movements or whatever are going to be, are going to be kicked out. They're going to be, they're going to be overridden and, and, and uh, uh, they're not going to last. 
because that's, that is, again, intrinsic to the place itself, whereas you cannot say that of Chutzlaretz. You can't say that inevitably that in Chutzlaretz they're going to return to Hashem because it, it, it's, the fact that Yidin are there is, is for them is like a, uh, not a natural thing for them. And they're always trying to get, Yidin, get, get rid of the Yidin. It's, it's something, you know, leave or, 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 you know, or, or assimilate or whatever. They don't, they don't want that influence. They're fighting against that influence and there's no promise to us that Chutzloretz is going to be a place that's going to all of a sudden become a place of Kedusha that's going to, I mean, until, until the Gu'ul of Mamish comes, but, but uh, before then, we can't, we can't count on that to happen uh, on its kind of, you know, because of this natural push towards Kedusha that, uh, that it is the same kind of thing that's happening at Yisrael. So in any case, um, it's something to be taken very seriously. It's something everyone that's living in a Chutzler, as I think almost everybody listening to this podcast is, has to seriously think about in, in their own lives. And again, there is a purpose for Yidin to be in Chutzler. So the whole point of this is that there's a reason why we have to be there at certain points in history in order to accomplish certain things. But then realize to yourself, look, if I'm in, if I'm in Chutzler, so I have to do something with that. I'm here for a reason. This is not something that's supposed to be that way. So if I'm going to if I'm going to take care take it you know if I was put here for a reason then use it out for that reason and indeed be an influence for kedusha to, to reveal Hashem even in this environment and, and to be makar of others and to be and to be a or goyim and to be a, make a kiddush Hashem and all of these things and be aware that you know if you're going to be in Eretz so in, in, in already not only it's it's also a survival thing because again if I'm not if I'm not influencing others then I'm going to be influenced by them. So, but not to give in to assimilationist tendencies and try, try to, 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 be, to be imitating the goyim and, and, and thinking that, you know, we can learn from the goyim and we can, you know, we, it's not so bad and, you know, uh, we can uh, bring in the various aspects of their culture into our culture. There has to be a tremendous vigilance and there has to be a tremendous proactive um, uh, feeling of, you know, if we're here already, so, first of all, take advantage of its potential, but also to do everything we need to preserve our our own identity and our own consciousness, and if anything, to influence them and not to let them influence us. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the things that we can learn from the experience of uh, of Yaakov Avini. Avinu.